Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Two families arrive in Brooks County, Texas, to look for their loved ones who went missing after crossing into the country from Mexico. On their search, they meet vigilante ranchers, human smugglers, humanitarian activists, and border patrol agents, all of whom are locked in a proxy version of the national immigration debate. That is so absolutely true. And they, the course of this, they uncover some sobering and and troubling truths about this part of our country and a part of our politics. Brooks County is among, if not the deadliest part of the uh, journey for many of these people who are seeking a better life in America. The film is called Missing in Brooks County. We're joined today by the co-directors, Lisa Molomot and Jeff Bemis. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, this is a wonderful documentary film, and it is one that is kind of a slow burn in terms of the stories that we're following and the consequences of the stories and kind of widening out into this big picture of this, as as I think someone says in the film, this kind of silent disaster that's unfolding on our borders. Tens of thousands of people are now missing, un- un- undoubtedly dead. But this also must have been a very difficult film just in terms of telling the story. This looks like it was kind of a grueling for you personally to document this over the course of, I don't even know how many years. And I'll I'll start with you, Lisa, in terms of how you came to this story, what inspired you to move forward with this documentary project. So I live in Tucson, Arizona, um, which is also 70 miles north of the border. So the, you know, the issue of migrant deaths is front and center here as well. So this is not something new. But, you know, Jeff um, and I met um, teaching in Connecticut um, at a small liberal arts college there. And we had said that we wanted to collaborate at some point. We, we heard a story on NPR and we both, you know, talked about it and talked about the possibility of making a film. But I think at that point, we had no idea what was going on in Brooks County. The scale of this um, crisis and this story, we sort of just went into it thinking we were making possibly a film about a forensic scientist and her work on the border. Yeah, maybe that's a good thing that I didn't know what I was getting into at the time because I'm not sure I would have really wanted to put myself through that. So I think we sort of went into it kind of blindly. You know, once we began filming, we knew we wanted to tell this story. Well, Jeff, when did you realize that Brooks County is this kind of ground zero for the issue surrounding the the death of these people migrating to the country and the scale of which it is that these people are dying off? When did that kind of hit home? Or did you know before going into Brooks County? We didn't know. And we had reached out to Lori Baker, who is a forensic scientist at Baylor University, and she invited us out. And we went down with her to this place called Falfurious that we had never heard of. And we said, okay, so where's the border? She said, oh, no, that's, that's 80 miles away. Brooks County isn't even a border county, but this is where the problem is. And the more we saw and the more we learned, I think, um, as, as Lisa indicated, that's when we realized that that was the story that needed telling, was what was going on there. And we met Eddie. 
and we went out with Eddie and you know there was the night that we were just basically filming him delivering water to the desert which is what he does on a regular basis and we came across a deceased person who was out in the desert you know that was a tough night and we realized I mean because those ranches are enormous some of them are I mean there's ranches that are half the size of Rhode Island and that we had just almost stumbled over a person was I think maybe a early indication that this this problem was bigger than most people realize and that's something that's a point that Kate Spradley makes in the film yeah there's terrific and you you mentioned Eduardo Canales who runs uh, the South Texas Human Rights Center and it is his taking he's taken on this mission to try and figure out what's happening in the county in terms of just trying to identify people who are moving across the county people are coming to them to him to find out what happened to their missing loved ones. That's hence the title, Missing in Brooks County. At that point, did, did Eduardo or Eddie give you some sort of idea as to the scale of the problem in terms of people who are dying in the county? Eddie, he felt, and I think the sheriff, Benny Martinez of Falfurious, felt that whatever official numbers of recoveries that the Border Patrol was, were publishing was a severe undercount because they only published what they picked up. They didn't necessarily always publish if, you know, let's say local law enforcement or maybe a rancher picked it up and, and somehow it went during the earlier days, you know, in 2014 and before, I think sometimes it would even maybe circumvent law enforcement and go straight to the funeral home. But also Mother Nature cleans up the evidence, you see. So they thought only one in five were being actually found. So whatever number you recover, you have to multiply times five. That's a lot of people. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, Kate Spradley likes to make the point that if this were something dramatic like a war zone or a genocide, there would be all kinds of attention and all kinds of money to deal with it. But see, migration is quiet. It's kind of invisible. People walk into the desert and they're never seen again. But the numbers add up and you really only get a, a small piece of the puzzle because of the way Mother Nature cleans up. Well, Lisa, I want to go back to you because we talked a little bit before we got started about the number that is identified in the film of 2000 that have been found. So do the math, right, Lisa? Again, this is, um, you know, those are the numbers that Border Patrol publishes. So those are the concrete numbers. But the, the film is called Missing in Brooks County for a reason, because so many just go missing and are never found. There is a story in our film that, you know, demonstrates, you know, the unique and serious nature of having someone missing, you know, versus having someone found. I mean, they're both horrific um, when you think about your family and, and someone dying in this way. The fact that some families will never know what happened to their loved one and will never have answers and will never have peace. Yeah, we have no idea what the numbers are. Right. And I want to underscore this. This is one county in Texas. Absolutely. I mean, Eddie Canales just texted me like 10 minutes ago saying he's in another county right now near El Paso, which is now kind of the new Brooks County, and he's putting out water. So there are counties all over South Texas that are dealing with this. I mean, Brooks County is the worst and um, has had this going on for a number of years, but now there are other counties that are popping up further west that are the new Brooks County. It's this, this issue is unbelievable. And the reason is, and you identified it earlier, that Brooks County isn't on the border. 
but it's about 70 to 80 miles from the border. So what that essentially the the reality, the on the on gra- on the ground reality of that situation is walking 70 miles is about the point at which the human body starts to break down. And, and what what Eddie does with the South Texas Human Rights Center is he puts water out for these people. So at least they have a fighting chance to, to survive. Yeah, so, that's I mean, uh, so often the people are transported by vehicle to a, a certain distance within these checkpoints. And then what happens is they get out and they try to circumvent the checkpoints on foot. And if they have an encounter with law enforcement, they can scatter and become lost. And the, the walk can be 40 miles without an encounter, and it can be much more if they become lost. So, and just to be extra clear, these checkpoints are not on the border. They're nowhere near the border. They're interior immigration checkpoints. And I think most Americans don't know that we have interior checkpoints, including me before making this film. I live in the Northeast, even though there's over 100 of them across the United States, and two-thirds of the U.S. population live in a checkpoint zone. Um, They were sort of given the green light by a relatively obscure 1970s Supreme Court decision that's had all kinds of unintended consequences, including causing these deaths, as you see in the film, and yet it's it's never been reexamined. Right. I understand that uh, they expanded the area of authority for the border patrol to i think 50 or 60 miles inland and it's 100 it's, it's 100 miles 100. It's 100 miles which covers i think i like 70% of the country or something is technically under the authority 60 70% of the country is technically under the authority of the border patrol yeah because it includes coastal borders that's what so, i'm saying yeah exactly so my my whole home state of connecticut for example is within the checkpoint zone These are the kind of things. And also, let's really zero in on that particular uh, policy, which essentially allowed, and this happened during the Clinton administration, 1994, I believe, where they set up these operation, I forgot all their names, there's three different operations that essentially sealed off the border in such a way to funnel anyone who's coming across the border into these very dangerous parts of the country, the most inhospitable to human beings that they could be forced to go through. Is that, again, that fair, Lisa? Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, During the Clinton administration, they um, created a policy called prevention through deterrence in that in uh, California, Arizona, and Texas, um, migrants were forced to go into more remote areas to cross. And that's what we're dealing with in this film that's what we're going what we're talking about i mean the wall these interior checkpoints these are all you know it's prevention through deterrence and the consequences are deaths and they knew people were going to die as as kate spriley says in the film like they knew there were going to be deaths i think they didn't realize the extent of it even you know as they began to see people were perishing they never changed the policy the policy continues and this is a policy from the mid 90s so this has been going on for a very very long time well we're now talking 27 years of policy and and the other part of this is that there's no one advocating for this to go away, to change in some way significantly enough to where people aren't just flat out dying. Because unfortunately and cynically, there's no political upside for any politician 
to advocate on behalf of these people who are dying. This is so, I mean, we talk about human rights in this country. We're the, the world's guardian of human rights, right? That's what we put ourselves up as and on our border. And we can debate policy all day long about, you know, why and how, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's a valuable part of this discussion. But the bare facts on the ground are that thousands, and I have to say hundreds of thousands of people have just died in darkness, in obscurity to their, this is just, and for the families who have lost these people, unbelievably heavy toll would have been taken on them. Jeff, anything to add or comment on that? Is that, I just want to make sure I'm being fair about this. I think that's a fair description of the problem. I mean, it, it was a bipartisan created situation. Right. I guess the hope is maybe somehow there could be a bipartisan solution. I guess to, to sprinkle in one note of hope, uh, there was a bill that, that got passed actually uh, at the very tail end of 2020, signed by Donald Trump actually, that for the first time took a, a small step toward recognizing the government's uh, responsibility for these deaths. And it provides some money that will hopefully help uh, the kinds of work that Kate Spradley and Eddie Canales are doing in the film. It hasn't been funded yet. There's, there's appropriations is the next hurdle, but it's everybody says, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I want to let people know that the film Missing in Brooks County comes out on August 20th. You should seek this out. I, I want to make sure people know they can go to missinginbrookscounty.com to find out more about the the film and about where it'll be screening. And you have a slew of social media accounts that people are interested in connecting with you or finding out more on Twitter and on Facebook and uh, Instagram, Missing in Brooks County, that you can go to Instagram and also uh, as well on Twitter and then the Facebook page is what just what you think missing in Brooks County. The important thing is in this film, you focus on this particular family search for their brother, Homero, and how this pulls us through the entire kind of landscape of what happens to not only to their family, but also to uncounted numbers. As I said, hundreds of thousands of families. It's such a it's such a humane way that you tell the story so empathetic and then also just the, the our system is broken our system is just it's it has to change i i can't believe i had never heard of this on on this level and i mean in the way that you tell the story of these people who are perishing in the deserts um my congratulations to both of you for your work here and uh, i know this film has won a number of awards and uh, go to missinginbrookscounty.com to find out all you can. Any final thoughts, uh, Jeff? Well, we're, the film is having a theatrical release in select cities, select movie theaters on August 20th. And Lisa and I are going to be in Texas starting uh, the end of next week to do a tour through Texas. And we're going to do some community screenings, some impact screenings. We're going to also have it in theaters as part of its theatrical run. I hope people will seek it out and come see the movie and come say hello uh, and raise awareness of this issue during what um, sadly is going to be and already is one of the most deadly summers for, for border crossers and migrants that we've had in a long time. The heat has just been unbelievable. Lisa, yeah. one uh, last thing, the reaction among the people in the film who've seen it just 
as you know briefly as you can, kind of sum up how they've reacted to what you've done here? Yeah, I mean, for me, the most important thing was the approval of the Roman family and um, their reaction to the film has been just wonderful. They're very supportive of the film. We'll be sitting that in a theater with them in Houston next Wednesday night at the Alamo Draft House, watching the film and doing a Q&A following it. But Eddie Canales, Kate Spradley, they're just 100% behind the film. And that just means everything to us. Well, Kate is amazing and her team are amazing. And they're what an incredible, incredible human being as well as what she does. So thank you so much for your work here. And I hope uh, hope I get the chance to not only meet you, but also come back on the show anytime. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.